Well, hello and welcome everyone to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Leidig, and welcome to another show. Uh, today, I thought it'd be fun to talk about the number three. Um, I It was the first thing that came to me literally like right after last week's show. Not that it necessarily is related to last week's show, but um, it came to me nonetheless. And then I just kind of kept my ear open for other ideas and a couple things came to mind, but then I forgot them and couldn't remember them. So I figured that they weren't that important, but this seemed persistent. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, before we went live here, um, I, as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed by numbers. I mean, numbers are something that we normally use and perhaps think of, like for mathematics and stuff, but, and certainly that's a part of it, but they play a much uh, bigger role than that with reality, with everything that we know and understand. And uh, because I've always been one to wonder why, to ask questions and um, be curious about everything, it always um, intrigued me. You know, whenever you see certain ty types of shapes or certain representations that uh, go back to numbers, like why it is that way. And uh, so I thought that every so often, you know, we might talk about a different number and it, the role that that number plays in who we are um, as people and in relation to nature and, and all that kind of stuff. Before we dig into that, um, I mentioned this in the Facebook group, and I'll just say it here live for the sake of putting it out there. Um, Christmas Day and New Year's Day both fall on Tuesdays, so we're not going to do shows on those days. And uh, so what that means is uh, next Tuesday's show is going to be the last one for this year. Um, which is the 18th and, um, and then the first show in the new year is going to be on January 8th. And, uh, you know, that way we can enjoy the holidays. So I just wanted to mention that kind of interesting that the last show here is one eight and then the first show in the new year is one eight. <laughs> But anyway, uh, well, 1218, I guess, technically is the last show, but I digress. <laughs> so anyway, number three. So uh, pretty popular. Uh, chances are, if you grew up in any kind of organized religion, especially Christian religion, um, you heard a lot about the number three because of the Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And... You know, in the grand scheme of things, I don't know necessarily why, as the church developed over time, that it had to be a, a number three based um, divinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, why there wasn't like four or five or six or whatever, or just two, um, because you certainly see those numbers show up in other uh, religions in some cases. but. Um, there is a lot of significance to the number three, that aside, um, because it just shows up again and again. And, you know, just to kind of give you a little bit of an insight into how my brain works sometimes is like we see things like the divine trinity. OK, um, and I'm not knocking it. Please don't think that. But Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So we have this three pattern there, right? But then there's also a lot of other threes that show up in our existence, like body, mind, and spirit, or body, soul, and spirit, depending on how you want to define that. Physical, mental, emotional, um, as far as how we think. Life, death, and rebirth, which isn't necessarily a Christian concept, but nonetheless. Um, our universe is three-dimensional, right? Uh we have the X, Y, and Z planes, which creates three dimensions. And it makes me wonder if we see these other patterns, like body, mind, and spirit, life, death, rebirth, whatever, 
because we've been programmed to think in that form. You know, well, we have the divine trinity, and so because of that, we naturally uh, recognize patterns of three, you know, as opposed to, you know, other patterns, which, you know, the number four is another huge number because we have the four directions and so on. Um, but uh, three is very intriguing. And even if you think about like um, past, present, future, you know, there is nothing else <laughs> other than past, present, or future. So, you know, again, it's another trilogy of numbers that exists. And of course, we have uh, three primary colors, red, green, and blue. And from those colors, we can create every other color that exists. Um, and they show the mixing of those three colors coming together as white. Um, I don't know if you've ever done those experiments or not, but um, so again, three primary colors, um, and we just, it's, there's a lot more examples like that of combinations of three, but what I want to do is actually spend a little bit more time looking at the number three from a position of math and science. Um, because that's where the number gets really interesting. And I think that's where um, our propensity and draw toward the number three can really shine. Um, I believe that things play out for specific reasons and sometimes not necessarily the reasons that we think. And it could just be because we don't understand, um, you know, or uh, it seems like many if not all humans in some form or another are programmed to respond to patterns and uh, things like that. And so one could argue that along with archetypes, which we're very familiar with, um, that there are certain numbers that we're naturally drawn to because without even realizing it, they're programmed into us, you know, in a lot of really interesting ways. And in some cases, um, uh, some unconventional, perhaps, ways. Uh, stuff that we've never thought about, but yet it's really there. And uh, some of the things that I've noticed, like, for instance, uh, I, I love to do a lot of study on symbolism and symbols. Um, because, again, like, my curiosity always comes down to why. So like, for instance, if you look at um, alchemical sim uh, symbols, like uh, the symbol for fire and water, they're both triangles. One is pointing up, one is pointing down, okay? And so they represent triangles. And actually, um, if you include earth and fire in there, they're both triangles, but they have lines through them. Um, so I, you know, it still kind of fits. But then my question is, you know, whenever they were, they, whoever they were, was creating the first um, alchemical symbols, why did they choose a triangle for water? Why did they choose a triangle for fire? You know, like, why not a circle? Like who, whenever, whoever they were came together and say, you know, um, th I think there's something to uh, alchemy. Uh, and, you know, there's these symbols and, that we're using and all of that. And, you know, we have these el different elements that we talk about, like fire and water and turning lead to gold and all this kind of stuff. We should come up with some kind of symbols. They're kind of like uh, the emojis of the day, you know. And uh, so, you know, a bunch of guys sitting around because probably at that time they didn't invite women. But who knows? Um, unfortunately. Um, but you know, bunch of dudes sitting around talking about fire, you know, and they're like, oh, 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 I know. Let's use a triangle. Good idea. Write that down. Somebody write that down. Triangle for fire. Why a triangle? I don't know. I just like triangles. I think it's kind of cool. Like, you don't know how those conversations <laughs> came about. And I'm just kind of being silly with them. But um, it makes you wonder, you know, why? Uh, and maybe the symbol you know, they use those symbols 
for something uh, that had a much deeper meaning. And perhaps it came to him in a dream. I mean, I never really researched the history of triangles used for fire. I, you know, I never uh, researched that. But I have researched a lot of symbolism. Um, I have several books on them and have probably for 30 years, 40 years. Well, maybe 35 years. Um, every book that I could find on symbolism, I would buy it because symbols are powerful. Um, and of course, many times symbols are also used in magic and the occult and all of that. And I don't spend a lot of time, you know, studying. I, I have studied all of that, um, from a curiosity perspective, but, um, you know, I don't run around drawing pentagrams all over my house or, or whatever, because that's not a number five that speaks to me. But the number three does, the number six does. Um, anyway, so whenever I started thinking more and more about uh, the number three, of course, triangles came up immediately. And um, most folks uh, in the science and math community uh, today consider uh, triangles to be um, the the strongest shape. It's also the first shape. Um, it's one of only just a few shapes that uh, you can panel with without having any holes. A uh, hexagon being another example, but a hexagon is is what basically a set of triangles put together. Um, and so. Uh, triangles are very, very strong uh, from an architectural perspective and from a building perspective. And you may also think about a triangle, if you look at the shape, of uh, three sides, right? Three points uh, as a pyramid, which, of course, is also another um, extremely powerful uh, symbol. Um, if you look at it in two dimensions, of course, a three-dimensional pyramid obviously has four sides and a base, which is square, as opposed to, uh, you know, if you think about like the Great Pyramid and all of that. Um, but it's this number three that we're talking about today. And um, one of the things that I also found cool uh, in thinking about triangles, and this is kind of what got me started down this path, because I'd Studied it a lot before, kind of forgotten about a lot of what I had studied because a lot of the studies that I've done on some of these things has been 10 or 20 years ago and have pages upon pages of notes. And then it's like, yeah, why was that interesting to me back then? <laughs> you know, and I start reading it and get sucked in again. But um, I was watching a video where the person on the video, person being interviewed, um, was talking about. Um, using base six mathematics instead of base 10, which is what we normally use, and uh, how uh, using base six mathematics would kind of change the dynamics of everything in a very positive way. And he's very much pro that. And was uh, talking about hexagons and how whenever you put them together, um, he believes that hexagons basically construct the fabric of space-time. Um, but what was interesting to me is as I was thinking about what he was saying, it occurred to me that when you have a hexagonal structure that's built where you put, you know, hexagonals all next to each other, right? You've, I'm sure you've seen pictures like that, especially if you do RPG gaming. Um, everything is hexagon based. Um, but what happens whenever you put hexagons together? Um, every intersection, every point of intersection has, what, three lines, right? So threes are very much a part of hexagons. And, um, of course, whenever you start thinking about the number three from that perspective, from the perspective of a hexagon, um, a lot of other very curious doors open up. Like, for instance, snowflakes. Snowflakes are all hexagonal based in one form or another. And so the number three is certainly present there just because of how they're created and how they structure based on hexagons. And um, I don't know, to me, I find it fascinating because once again, I 
can't help but wonder why. You know, I don't know if you saw the uh, recent, some of the recent um, polar photos of Saturn, but um, they were able to image these pictures of the North Pole of Saturn and the way the gases are rotating, they form hexagons, form a giant hexagon, which is just incredibly weird to me. But seeing the number three play in a role of hexagons, which of course is six sides, so it um, would stand to reason because, you know, two times three is six. And so there's a lot of math in there that just kind of plays in, into it all. Um is uh, something else. I've always been uh, also very fascinated by, um, for the lack of a better word, I call it, I re just refer to them as math tricks, but really they're um, much more complicated than that. And that's where you have um, sequences in math that uh, shouldn't necessarily be there, but they are. Um, and then you bring that over into nature and all of a sudden you start seeing math everywhere in nature and three plays a really big role in all of that in some kind of surprising ways. Like uh, a good example uh, as a uh, what I call a math trick or math sequence or whatever is Fibonacci, um, Fibonacci sequence, which is where you take all the prime numbers and go up with them that can't be divisible by anything. And uh, so, you know, like one, two, three, five, and so on, seven. Um, but what's interesting is that whenever you study Fibonacci, um, you start seeing it in a lot of different interesting places, like Nautilus shells, the way the spiral comes out is based on a Fibonacci sequence the way 90% of the trees and plants that exist have their leaves show up um, uh, as they grow. Uh, if you follow it closely, the positioning of the leaves are all based on a Fibonacci sequence. It's very mathematical. And, uh, you know, of course, again, for me, the question is why? You know, why is it there? Um, and so in researching some of those questions and, and me being curious about different numbers, one of the things that I discovered, and, and honestly, um, with this not being a visual presentation, but an audible one, um, I would really recommend if you're curious about crazy shit like this, <laughs> I would recommend that you do a little research of your own on it because it's fascinating as hell. Um, but one of the things that I came across, what, um, gosh, a couple years ago, was um, this thing called Pascal's Triangle. And so, basically, uh, the way Pascal's Triangle works, um, I don't know if you're familiar with binomial coefficients or anything like that, but think about it this way. You have the number one, okay? Um and then underneath that, you have two ones, which is no big deal, okay? But underneath that, you have another number one, and then you add together the two numbers directly connected to the center position. So one plus one is two, right? So you end up with one, two, and then another one. And then in the fourth row, you have number one, and then you um, put together the two numbers above the, uh, the second space, enter that, the two numbers above the third space, enter that, and then the number one. So you keep going down through this progression where you're bringing together the, uh, the sum of the two numbers above the previous number, okay? and then put those in there. And what happens is you end up constructing a triangle. And this triangle is called Pascal's Triangle. But what's curious about Pascal's Triangle is some, uh, it has some very interesting qualities to it. One quality is that if you add up the totals of numbers uh, as you go down the uh, line, 
uh, each line, one after the other, regardless of how far down you go, um, what you discover is that um, it represents the power of two. Um, so one, two, four, eight, 16, 32, so on. Okay. Um, and so all the rows add up uh, according to a power of two, but beyond just the power of two, those numbers, the power of two numbers represent a lot of things in nature, like cellular division. You know, think about how cells divide. Um, <laughs> they're all based on the power of two. Um, genealogy. So like if I go uh, start with me, number one, I go back one generation. I have two parents. So one plus one. Uh, I go back. I have four grandparents. So and, and it keeps going back. Power of two. Uh, which aligns perfectly with Pascal's triangle. Okay. So kind of an interesting and fascinating thing. Um, and then here's one thing that kind of blew me away. So um, instead of taking Pascal's triangle and, and shaping it as like a pyramid structure, right? If you took the exact same numbers and just flushed them left, you still have a triangle but it's straight up and down on the left side. And then you draw 45 degree diagonals through the numbers and add up those totals. Okay, so you have a square edge on the left, you have a diagonal on the right, and so it's still like the top number still one, and then the next one is one one, and then the next one is one two one, and so on. Um, so you have this diagonal, or you know, this diagonal going down the right if you're looking at the shape of the numbers. If you draw an intersecting diagonal um, the other direction, okay, and add up the total of those numbers, guess what you get? You get the Fibonacci sequence of numbers, which is crazy. And so here you have this simple little thing called Pascal's triangle where you're just adding numbers together and it creates a visual structure of a triangle. And all of, uh, all of the foundational math that describes this planet, from cellular division to Fibonacci sequences, the way plants and different things grow and create, for all of that to exist just in a stack of numbers that's in the shape of a triangle is pretty crazy. And that's why I get excited about it. And Whenever you start thinking about and looking at math from that perspective, um, you can understand a little bit more of how, if those structures exist deep down inside us, you know, without us thinking about it, it's like, oh, yay, my cells are multiplying. That's the power of two based on Pascal's triangle. Like, nobody thinks like that ever, <laughs> right? Um but it's still this underlying thing that exists there. Like we don't, um, whenever it snows, you know, we don't run outside going, the hexagonals are falling. <laughs> you know, we don't think that. We just think about snow. But here you have this water being blown around up in the cloud, right? It's freaking cold outside. And the water says, you know what? I think I'm going to fall as a hexagon. I mean, might be pretty fancy hexagon, but still, like, why? Why did that happen? Why is it that snow is like that? And, of course, every every uh, snowflake is unique in its shape and everything, even though it has a hexagon at its core. Um, but you can't help but wonder why. You know, and then you, you look at other things in nature, um, like... If you study flowers, for instance, you see a lot of different numbers that show up again and again in uh, flowers. You'll see hexagons, you'll see triangles and threes, um, you know, three-leaf clover, you know, those kinds of things. Why not a five-leaf clover, you know? Like, who made that decision that uh, clover should, for the most part, have three leaves, occasionally four if you're lucky? Ha ha. Um, you know, so who decided that? 
Why is it that way? Unless there's underlying principles that we don't necessarily understand fully. And that's where math comes in to try to explain it all. <coughs> and so, to me, I, I don't know that I would go so far as to say that having an understanding of numbers like this, number three, number six, whatever, can play an important role in how you turn out as a person or how successful or not your business is or whatever. But I have a feeling that if you really spend some serious time and actually had the data, which most of us don't, and broke down that data, you would see cycles. You would see patterns in how you spend money, how you make money, how many days you're positive versus negative, um, your interactions with humans and where, um, what you eat and what's happening in your body. Uh, the number of times per day you go to the bathroom. I mean, whatever the case may be, there's going to be patterns in there. And if you track those patterns over time, what you're going to discover is very interesting numbers that keep showing up again and again and again. Now, can you leverage those numbers in a positive way that somehow, you know, makes you more money than not? I'm not necessarily convinced that you can. Um, I mean, I think you can. Um, but to, to play something like that out deliberately, I'm not sure I would be the one to tell you how to do that because, um, it's easy for us to take a look at a number as just that, the number three, you know, like how we came up with the sequence of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in that order. I mean, we take that for granted, right? It's called counting. <laughs> and we know that if we have one rock, you know, that's represented by one. And if we add another rock to it, we have two and three and so on. So there's this obvious kind of progression thing. But yet by the same token, most if not all of us have these experiences where certain numbers show up randomly. We're not thinking about them or whatever. Um, the number 1 or 11 is notorious for stuff like that. Um, the number 3 is as well. The same with 4 for Kristen and I. Both 3 and 4 are play big roles in showing up. And so, again, it's like, you know, you just happen to glance over at the clock. You're busy going about your day, minding your own business. You glance at the clock, and it's 3.33, you know? You go buy gas, and the thing clicks off at $33.33 or $33.33 or something random like that. But is it random? And is it a sign that we're supposed to pay attention? Um, and if it's a sign that we're supposed to pay attention, what the hell are we supposed to pay attention to? You know? Um, Tony said that three is his number because he was born on the third. I was born on the sixth. So maybe that's why I have such a draw to, to hexagons. Who knows? But, um, it's really curious if you give yourself permission to just spend a little bit of time and allow your mind to wander, um, and do a little research along with that. Um, you can discover some very interesting things. Now, I realize that not all of you are going to have interest in like numerology and some of those kinds of things. And some of you may not even believe in it. And that's fine. Um, I always find that stuff incredibly curious. Like, I don't know who invents the meaning for the number three. You know, like they say, oh, it's a perfect number according to, you know, the Chinese and uh, the Egyptians considered the number three, the number of the cosmos. Like why, why did they think that, you know, it's like, well, we got earth and we got the sun and we got the moon. That's three. So I guess, you know, <laughs> but what about all the other planets, you know, and the astro asteroids and the comets and the galaxies and all of that. So like who sat down and decided 
Number three is the number of the cosmos, period, you know, because I said so. And so it makes you wonder, you know, if that's the real reason why a lot of this exists the way it does. Because at some point in time in the ancient past, somebody said, because I said so, <laughs> you know, like our mom. You know, the number three is important because mom said so. Um, but in reality, uh, and all kidding aside, uh, I don't, I'm sure knowing uh, and inter having interacted with a number of you um, who regularly attend here, and I haven't looked at the questions uh, yet, but uh, having inter uh, interacted with many of you regularly, I have a sense of how you think. Um, because you shared and and your own personal driven passions to discover stuff and uh, I love that actually I I love being you know virtually surrounded by uh, a number of contemporaries who are like-minded because uh, there aren't many folks who think like that who live here around me in Pennsylvania Kristen finds a lot of the conversation fascinating, and most of the time she don't know what the hell I'm even talking about. And and that's no disrespect to her. Her interests are in other things. But, you know, whenever I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning with these math sequences that I think explains certain kinds of things, she looks at me like, why are you waking me up <laughs> to tell me this? It's 3 in the morning, you know. But speaking of three in the morning, did you ever notice how we often seem to wake up at three in the morning? Like there's something magical about 3 a.m. I don't know what it is, um, at least for me in my household. Um, but anyway, those are just some of the thoughts that I wanted to present to you today related to this, this number that keeps showing up again. Um, and we can't escape it. Um, <laughs> certainly. And, you know, as you dig into other numbers, you know, I challenge you to do it. It's a lot of fun. Um, meanings of numbers and all of that. Uh, it's really incredibly curious to me. Like another thing too, you can't dig into numbers. And this is why, where I probably part ways some with the uh, scientific method. Okay. I mean, I believe it, it makes sense to me to, to be able to prove everything. Um, but by the same token, for me, as, you know, an amateur scientist and having been enthralled with science and math as long as I've lived, um, what happened with me is that while I find the scientific method uh, curious, uh, in trying to discover and prove and different things like that. My experience has always been the deeper I looked into things like this, the more quote unquote magic I discovered, like the, this unexplainable detail that isn't just happenstance. You know, it really, you can't to me, you can't be open-minded and open-eyed and look at the fabric of nature or what makes us as humans tick or what we believe or whatever. You can't dig deep into that stuff and ultimately not come to the conclusion that there's something going on here that's much larger than ourselves, something divine that we can't explain. You know, so whether you know, whether it really is God who I was told about, you know, as a kid and adult, or, you know, whether it's the result of, you know, farmer races of aliens millions of years ago that uh, constructed things like this and put them in the place, or if it's just this underlying divine source fabric that everything is based on. I mean, who knows? Uh, really, for sure. Um Arguments can be made in support of every single one of those. But what I do know is this, that there's something going on that's way beyond ourselves that I would call divine. Um, I hesitate just for those of you who are Christians and, and uh, 
believe strongly in that. I have, I mean, I grew up in that. Okay. So I, I wouldn't say that I walked away from any of those beliefs at all, but I will say this is that the one of the, probably the only hesitation that I have these days at ascribing um, or talking about God in the sense of using that word is that um, it's always been seen as a masculine God, a male God, um, which is convenient given that the church as far back as you go was built by men and that women were shunned. Okay. Um, even though what one of those men came into this planet without the aid of a woman. Okay. Except perhaps, well, even Jesus take away Mary. He ain't happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? So maybe apart from Adam and Eve, if you go with that story, Everyone's here because of a woman. So to automatically ascribe God as being the father, father God, um, that's one of the issues that I ultimately developed uh, on my own. I'm not, you know, putting this out to say you have to believe this way. But that's one of the issues that I had is the constant exclusion of women in church and, and all of that uh, being seen as lesser than, you know, because they caused Adam to, do, you know, to sin or whatever. I think most of that's baloney, uh, honestly. And so male and female, we kind of need both, uh, you know, if we're going to procreate. I mean, yes, science can do it without us, but they still need what comes from us to make it happen. Still need that sperm and egg. But um, so that's why I'm a little hesitant in just referring to God. Uh, and uh, just to for the sake of being completely open and clear. Uh, one of the reasons why I came to that uh, conclusion of having an issue with Father God. I mean, I get the argument, and it makes a lot of sense. And very often, whenever I refer to God, that's what I'm thinking. I'm also a dude, you know, so of course I would think that. Um, but here's the thing that, that really struck me as interesting. And that's whenever I would counsel women who, who would, or boys for that matter, um, would be involved in counseling sessions where there was abuse at the hand of a father. Okay. And so, you know, is whenever you have people who are like that, and there's a lot of folks that have experienced abuse at the hands of their fathers. Um, and then you tell them that they need to come to a loving God, the father. Um, we have an issue, right? We have a big problem because now all of a sudden, the uh, allegory that we're using to try to connect with them doesn't hold water because it scares the hell out of them because their own father was abusive. So why wouldn't Father God be abusive? So that was one of the things that kind of caught my attention. That's why I prefer to look at um, God as uh, gender neutral. Not male, not female. I mean, what is really the purpose of God being a male versus a female? I mean, there's a lot of Mother God influence in other religions. Um, I don't necessarily hold to that either. Uh, but to me, to have God or, you know, this trin divine trinity as gender neutral, that makes a lot of sense to me. You know, that way it's not like showing preference, uh, gender preference. It's not doing anything like that. And it still holds the power that we would expect God to hold, right? that they could do anything, that um, all of the, the divine intricacies that we see in math and science and everything that exist for sure, there's, you cannot refute it, that it has to be from an intelligent source that's way beyond us. Um, humans tend to worship anything and everything that they can get their hands on, it seems. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense for us to, um, you know, to assign uh, human qualities uh, to a divine figure. It helps us relate better, right? Um, I believe they call that anthropomorphism, where you assign human traits to something else. But if you think about it, you don't really need to do that. You know, I mean, Jesus obviously um, 
would be a dude. I mean, he would be a man. And I'm, I didn't mean, mean to talk about religion, but it just, it came to my mind and you know me, if something comes to mind, I talk about it. Um, and so I, I, I think my current view of the divine, uh, is more like this. You know how, um, most of you are probably, if not all of you are on a computer of some sort, right? And that computer has a processor in it. And the processor is what makes everything go. Um, and so like an Intel i7 processor, which is what I have in my iMac here, um, you'll also find at the core a lot of higher-end PCs. The i7 processor don't care whether it's running a Mac OS or Windows. It don't care. Its job is to just make it all work. Like, it just does what it does. It processes numbers, right? Just makes it all work. So I kind of see the divine God as the Intel processor. Not Intel, but as the core processor. Now, think about the Mac OS or Windows. What does it do? <clears throat> it interfaces with the core processor. It uses those resources to create something. But that something, depending on the operating system, is going to be a little bit different. So you have like Windows programs that can't uh, run on a Mac without some kind of software intervention. And vice versa. But again, the the uh, computer processor don't care what whether you're running Mac OS or Windows or Linux or fill in the blank. Doesn't really care. It just does what it does. And you, so you can look at it from the perspective of divine source. The processor on our computers is an analogy of divine source. We're the ones that assign meaning to it. Well, I have a Mac computer. It runs Mac OS. You know, and so I can do cool Mac things. Uh, I was like, well, I have an i7 also, but mine's a PC. Blah, blah, blah. You know, what we do. And I paid a third of what you paid. Uh, you know, so you can have all kinds of discussions. But just understand that if I have a Mac OS running on an i7 processor and I launch PC or I launch um, Photoshop, my computer processors are going, shit, they just launched Photoshop. I wasn't expecting this. No, don't care. Don't care. If I, if I run graphic design software, doesn't care. If I run architectural software, doesn't care. If I edit sound clips, doesn't care. If I make movies on there, doesn't care. If I'm playing freaking Farmville or whatever, doesn't care. Video games, don't care. Still processing it. It's a completely different expression of the OS that's underlying. But the processor don't care. It's neutral. And that's how I see a lot of religion. You have the divine source, God, who is the processor. The religions are the uh, different operating systems. You know, instead of Mac OS, we have Christianity. Instead of, um, you know, fill in the blank religion, you know, uh, we have Windows or we have something else. I mean, there's hundreds of religions that people believe in. Um, so you have that. And then on top of those uh, uh, operating systems, our religions, you have these other concepts um, that can function and exist in different religions, but very often they're unique. And that's where symbolism comes in. That's where certain belief systems come in. But at the end of the day, the underlying processor don't really care. And I'm not saying that God is impersonal, because that's one of the big tenets of Christian faith, is that it's a personal God. But um, I believe even that has to be taken in context. Like, if I go out and kill somebody today, which obviously I wouldn't do, 
and just randomly off the top of my head and say, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to go kill somebody today, you know, and go out and do it, end up in prison, whatever. Um, like God and Jesus aren't going to be having this conversation of like, wow, I didn't really see that coming. Like I thought Tony was on the path and then all of a sudden out of the blue, he shoots somebody like where'd that come from? Where do we fail? And it just don't take place. <laughs> like those kind of conversations just can't possibly take place. What does happen, however, is that if there's a variation in the programming, the processor still processes. You know, we could see it as a virus or something like that, right? But the process will process the virus too. It don't care. And it actually, that's not even a correct phrase. Uh, because there's no emotion involved and, and not caring implies emotion. Um, so it just is. The processors just are. They do what they do. And that's how I see the universe in which we live. So back to one of the earlier shows that I talked about was cause and effect versus right and wrong. So to me, very much cause and effect. But whenever you encounter, as I mentioned earlier, um, these curious numbers that keep showing up again and again and again, uh, number three, number four. I mean, think about it. If From a counting perspective, we have no shapes at all until we hit the number three and all of a sudden we have a shape. Where'd that come from? You know, uh, with two, we have a straight line and that's pretty much it. And then all of a sudden number three comes along and we have this shape. And then uh, on and on it goes from there. And so for, for those reasons, uh, especially, it makes me really appreciate the fact that there is a higher power. It, it leads me to the fact that, yes, indeed, there is something divine going on here that I can't explain. And uh, so because of that, like whenever I'm meditating or praying or whatever, which I do every day, um, you know, who exactly is hearing those prayers? And who is it exactly in my head talking to me? Don't know. Don't really care. Hasn't really led me wrong. <coughs> now, to take this latter end of the discussion that I wasn't planning on at all and play that out, like, what does that mean for me and Christmas? I love Christmas. I totally celebrate it in all of its forms. Uh, was Jesus born in a lowly manger on December 25th? I'm pretty sure we all know the answer to that question. Um, historical proof shows that it's more likely that he was born in April. Um, whenever the lambs were lowing and giving birth themselves. Um, I think uh, December 25th and Christ being born came more out of Christians seeing an opportunity in trying to convert Roman pagans into, their, into Christianity. Um, if you do the research, but that's not to say that I don't love Christmas and I love it in all of its forms. I love, uh, Santa Claus. I love, um, the virgin birth, all of that, because it represents part of humanity. But even here in America, if you just rewind time about 250 years or so, uh, Christmas was against the law. It was a pagan holiday. We weren't even allowed to celebrate it without going to jail. So. You know, there's a lot of things to consider what we celebrate today versus going back in time, you know, but I digress. Sorry about that. Um, so anywho, let me, uh, check out some comments and questions here. Yeah, Tony brings up a good point. Um, Fibonacci numbers are interesting and profitable when playing the markets. Yeah, I can definitely see that. I've never done that, played markets, but that would make sense to me. Uh, Kathleen says, three was so important to the Celts who were all over Europe, from Spain to Ireland to France to Eastern Europe. Uh, triple goddess was all over. Yeah, um, you'll often see three triangles put together which was, you know, very Viking kind of thing, um, very Celtic kind of thing. 
uh, as well. Um, uh, but she says, but I've always wondered why three, four is obvious from the sacred four directions. Uh, that was a big tech when it discovered, um, when it was discovered, you can navigate by using four directions, but why three? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to me, these are questions like why the number three, like you said, you know, why four in certain things? Um, why does, why six sides in a snowflake and not five or seven? <clears throat> to me, these are the big questions in the universe uh, that would lead to a lot of surprising answers. And uh, another thing that I will say about this, it may sound ludicrous for me to say it, but um, when you start thinking down these paths, like the meaning behind certain numbers, that's when you're knocking on the door to the secrets of the universe. Like the secrets of the universe exist in those numbers. Doesn't necessarily mean that we see them, but the secrets are there. Um, same with like, I've been reading a lot lately about mathematics and how, uh, and physics and how the underlying core, some are arguing now that the underlying core of mathematics and physics is all wrong and that it was actually, uh, it started off as a theory and then was made into fact, but in reality, um, it was incorrect like base 10 is a good example. And so whenever uh, other theories were challenging that, um, it became political. You know, just like how um, whenever uh, Tesla discovered AC current, you know, he was going against his boss and it became political. So, um, you know, here you have Edison um, sabotaging things. Uh, putting out false news or fake news and all of that about Tesla uh, because he stood to lose a lot of money if Tesla was right. And of course, Tesla was right. That's why we have AC current. <coughs> but so it's important to understand that at the heart of every question is human politics. And so just because we're told that something is correct doesn't necessarily mean that it is. Um, and that's true in any medium, whether it's science, math, religion, um, you name it. It's always there. People are making decisions because of power. Um, and so that's why I'm a huge fan of questioning everything, even to the point of simple questions that are really complex questions like why the number three. Uh, Lori says, uh, 369 is very prevalent in my life. And she gives a number of examples um, of how it shows up, you know, third child, it shows up in social security numbers and birth date and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating um, whenever you start marrying a lot of those things together and look at it with new eyes. Um, Mary says the elegance of math and its primary simplicity. Whoa. Yeah, absolutely. And Mark says, I read not long ago that genetic researchers found the math behind the random functionality of similar genetic structures that result in the tiny differences as in leaves on the same tree. And it is very fractal. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, you remember I, I mentioned last week, which I haven't posted that on SoundCloud yet. Sorry about that. Um, I mentioned last week on, um, the power of interrupts that one of the things that I did, um, back in the day, <laughs> whenever I managed the printing company, um, it was so boring and mundane, um, that job. I mean, I loved it. I enjoyed it, but it was still same thing in and out. And so one of the things that I did to kind of spice up my life, as it were, was um, I bought a number of books on uh, fractal geometry. And it just sounded like 
it would be fascinating, and it was. Um, certainly not for the faint of heart, and I wouldn't consider it, you know, bathroom reading material <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination, because it made my brain hurt sometimes just to kind of read through it, but it also opened up my eyes to a lot of possibilities that I had never considered before, you know, of, of just how how much math literally does exist around us. Uh, Kathleen says, anthropologist Marvin Harris taught um, in several fun books that numbers become sacred to a society because of some vital use, such as four for the four directions. That's why the sacred three has always puzzled me. What's the point of it? Well, maybe like the way I see the number three, as I mentioned um, today, if you look at it just from the position of a triangle alone, um, you could see how that could play into a sacred belief. And then, I mean, I think probably the number three is considered more sacred, sacred these days because of the divine trinity and, you know, body, mind, and spirit. But to me, I would put more emphasis on it because of the triangle. It's a strong structure. It's the first shape that appears um, when counting and, you know, some of those kinds of things. Oh, this is interesting. Uh, Mary says, so 5555, my birthday, might mean five is a significant number. I just thought I liked the number five and a good conversation starter. Um, very well could be. Yeah, I mean... Something that obvious, where you're born on May 5th, 1955, um, you know, first of all, it's probably a numerologist wet dream, <laughs> just studying that one. But um, yeah, it would be worth your while to explore some of those meanings behind that number if you haven't already. Uh, and Kathleen also says uh, seven is also a sacred number. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mentioned many times in the Bible, but also in other cultures. Why? Historian Jeffrey Ash, in his famous book, uh, Dawn Behind the Dawn, traces the sacredness of seven to shamanic, shamanic cultures of Siberia and shows how so many of their traditions made their way to Western Europe and uh, the Middle East. Fabulous book. It sounds very interesting. I'm going to look it up. I'll just copy it here. Yeah, well, uh, seven also does play a role in, in uh, direction because you have like north, south, east, west, above, below, and center. Okay, so um, from that perspective, it if you look at directions from the position of seven, it makes direction three-dimensional. So that could be one uh, reason why the number seven. I mean, I know that it definitely shows up in scripture a lot. Um, but I'll definitely have to read that book. It sounds very interesting. So a number of you are commenting about... Uh, Waking up at 3 a.m. Uh, Mary says, what if our genealogy is alien-based and the numbers we resonate with are encoded from where we came from? It would be interesting to look at the DNA to see if these number patterns show up. A chromosome browser can allow you to see where a surname exists. Maybe we can go further. Yeah, I'm... I'm pretty confident that there's a lot of math in, uh, and, you know, Mark was mentioning some of it, actually, that there's a lot of math in our DNA that would probably point to things like that. Um, and, I mean, I like what you're suggesting, because it very well could be that way, that it's alien-based, and that's why we resonate with certain numbers. But then the big question is, like, to me, it, when we think of the number three, or any number for that matter, we think of it as that it just is, you know, that the number three just is. 
And it, it always has existed, like life can't exist apart from these numbers that obviously are derived from counting. But again, I mean, the question I would ask is a seemingly impossible question to answer. And that is, where did the number three come from? Where did the number four come from? I mean, we can make analogies all day long. You know, we can see patterns all day long. But where did the number three come from to begin with? Like, why? Like Kathleen said, why three? You know, is it a constant in the universe? You know, some say that the um, speed of light is a constant. Guess what? They've already gone faster than that in um, laboratories and have calculated multiple speeds of light not just 186,000 miles per second, right? There's, there's others that are higher, other numbers, and they're stable numbers. So, you know, how do, that gets in, into another question then. How do we define constants? You know, so if uh, the number three is a constant, why? What makes it a constant? We could also argue that our alphabets are the constant, but that's a little easier to figure out because of linguistics. And so one thing that I haven't done, and this might be a curious study, would be to break down the numbers as we pronounce them, three, uh, linguistically, down to the root origins to see where they came from. That could be a fun study. Um, I haven't done that. Um, so why do we call three, three? Why is three... A constant where did it come from you know or has it always existed you know when in uh, genesis 1 1 when god said let there be light and there was light was that more than just the big bang did that also create uh zero through nine <laughs> you know although zero through nine i don't know so much about because if you think about like i could see zero through seven or one through seven uh, because eight and nine are derivatives of lower numbers, so that don't count. And I mean, technically, I guess you could say that six is as well. Um, but I don't know. To me, it's incredibly fascinating. Will it make me an extra 50 grand next year? Probably not, but. <laughs> um. Gary says, uh, the Methodist, which I am, seem to be replacing he with God in most literature. It's a little awkward. Uh, we still say our Father who art in heaven. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people who I'm quite confident have no qualms with referring to God as the Father. Because even in a household, a father, I mean, in today's age, who the hell knows? But in normal <laughs> interaction, um, up until the current time that we live in, the father was always seen as a sign of strength and um, the head of the house and so on and so forth. Again, the whole patriarchal thing plays into that, um, which a lot of Western society, of course, is based upon. Um, so I can see that analogy very clearly. But like the Cherokee, you know, they're a matrilineal society. So to refer to the creator as a man would be ridiculous, you know. Uh, and we would see their view as wrong. Which is why, you know, whenever the English came over to interact with the Cherokee um, and wanted to meet with their leaders, um, they got offended whenever the chiefs sent out the women because they thought they were making fun of the English when in reality they're the ones calling the shots. So a lot of it is worldview. You know, a lot of it plays into cultural worldview. And um, we have to keep that in mind. So um, anyway. Uh, Kathleen says, in the 19th century, before archaeology became an academic field, it was sort of treasure hunting by rich amateurs. One of the most famous of those, Heinrich 
uh, Schliemann, uh, who discovered Troy, bragged in his own journals that he destroyed all evidence of goddesses that he found, and he was not alone. Yeah, a lot of that uh, certainly plays out. Um, and uh, Mary says expansion is inclusive to all life energy, no matter the creative expression. So wonderful to dabble in these thought streams. Thanks, Tony, for flowing with source for your perspective. The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell comes to mind as you shared about overarching beliefs. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Joseph Campbell. Um, and Steve shares uh, ancient Chinese fortune-telling method. I Ching uses three coins tossed three times to predict future events. I'm just reading down through. We need to wrap things up here. My throat's starting to really get dry. One that I'll read. I'm going to wrap up with this. Um, partly because I just got a text from uh, Kristen, too, that I need to respond to. But uh, Tony says, do you drive a Mercedes with its three-pronged badge, uh, badge symbolizing earth, sea, and air? in the world apparently or a three-letter car like bmw but four is your number isn't it ford uh for my mustang well actually i have a mercedes uh and uh an suv that i drive all the time the the mustang sits in the garage more than not um but yeah i never really thought about it as their badge being on the front there with the three but you're right Every day I'm taking on the number three, apparently. <laughs> Steve says Ford fix or repair daily found on road dead. Hey, now I'm a big Ford fan. At least when it comes to sports cars. <coughs> all right. Well, that's all I have for this week, folks. I appreciate all your comments. It just makes um, this experience so much better. And um, we will um, get together again next Tuesday um, to talk about Lord knows what. And then uh, we'll be taking two weeks off for Christmas and New Year, and then return uh, January 8th. So uh, if we don't talk or interact before, I hope you enjoy your holidays. Have a Merry Christmas um, or whatever else you celebrate um, during the holiday time. The important thing to me is that we're, at the very least, you know, we're ushering out an old year and entering a new year. To me, that's worth celebrating. So whether it's Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or Boxing Day or whatever the case may be, uh, I like to celebrate. <laughs> so to me, celebration at the end of the year here is an awesome time. Uh, so I hope you do the same. Uh, so until then, we will talk again soon.